From the grassroots media team at Weave News, this is Interweave It. Welcome to episode 16 of Interweaving. I'm John Collins. Today is Friday, April 24th, and the number of confirmed cases of COVID-19 worldwide is now more than 2.7 million. That's according to the Coronavirus Resource Center at Johns Hopkins University. Here at Weave News, we continue to receive audio testimonies from citizen reporters around the globe in response to the call we issued on March 16th. Today, we bring you four reports that span several regions of the world. We begin in Italy, one of the first epicenters of the pandemic. Then we go to Costa Rica and Myanmar. And finally, we hear from two filmmakers who describe their urgent journey back to northern New York in the midst of documenting the inspiring work of Earth Guardians in Veracruz, Mexico. Taken together, these four reports provide us with another opportunity to weave the world together in the uncertain times of COVID-19. Hi, my name is Nuskaim Kanyat Kazi. Today is Saturday, 11th of April, 2020, and I'm reporting from Rimini, Italy. As you all heard probably through the news, Italy is one of the countries that have been hit hard by COVID-19. And today I'll be talking about my experiences and the general situation here. I think this whole COVID-19 experience for people who live in Italy started almost two months ago when Italy declared its first COVID patient. We went through the same phase of denying the existence of the virus to panicking then hoarding all the food, not the toilet paper, thankfully, because we have the bidet here. And now, finally, the acceptance of how things are now and just being calm about it. So we have been under enforced lockdown since 8th of March. That's when people here realized it is definitely a serious matter because previously, before all of this, Italians thought that this was just a common cold being exaggerated by the media and everything changed on 8th of March when the law enforced the lockdown. So we weren't allowed to leave our houses. That's when this whole thing started. <laughs> A lot of the bars and shops closed down for the time being, with only supermarkets, banks and pharmacies being kept open. We were told that we need to carry with ourselves a statement. So basically, when I'm going out, I need to have a piece of paper that says I'm leaving my house for either food shopping or for medicines. Basically, you need to have a very valid reason for you being out of your house. Otherwise, if the police stop you, you will get around 2,000 to 3,000 euro fine and will also be denounced by the state. Due to the virus and the lockdown, the city that I live in got so quiet and it's very strange because it's usually full of people, tourists especially, sipping their cups of coffee in bars, having aperitivos with the music playing in the, in, in the background. So it's, it's a very beautiful town, but now with the virus and the lockdown, it's just so quiet and empty. 
In the beginning, Italians got creative. We had flash mobs, people singing and playing an instrument outside of their balconies, as you have seen in the news, I'm sure. It was very beautiful, like the community coming together, being united, was very beautiful. But gradually, as the days have gone by, majority of the people stopped doing that. I guess it just got boring or maybe even depressing. I can't really say. So today marks the 35th day of me being under lockdown. I haven't seen any of my friends or my boyfriend and I don't live with my family. They live in a completely different country. So basically I'm alone. I didn't really feel that lonely in the beginning. I had my lectures online for four to six hours a day. Started working on my thesis. So I had things to keep me busy. I thought that this would be a very nice break to just stay at home and spend time by myself. But I think it really hit me when it was my birthday and I was missing all the people that I loved dearly. I managed to celebrate it virtually, which was quite an experience, but I really hope that I don't have to go through that in the future again. I think recently I feel more and more lonely and stressed. It might have to do with the fact that we were supposed to come out of the lockdown on 3rd of April because the government told that in the beginning of the lockdown. Then it got postponed to 13th of April and a few days ago it got postponed again until 3rd of May. I think this feeling of uncertainty is the main factor that is driving me to sort of go insane. It's definitely torturing because you don't know what's going to happen next. You don't know when you will be able to go out, when you will be able to reunite it with your friends and family. It's definitely torturing. And a lot of my friends describe their life as a loop, living the same day again and again with pretty much every day going the same way. And I can definitely relate to that. It's, it's hard. And these times are difficult for everyone. It can trigger anxiety attacks, depression, all sorts of mental problems. So I really hope that people remember while taking care of your physical health to take care of your mental health as well. Because in our town, I heard that an old man committed suicide because he couldn't take the stress anymore, which is horrible. And no one has to go through that. So... Please remember to take care of your physical health. And sometimes watching the news is great to keep yourself informed, but at the same time, it can be so overwhelming. So remember to unplug yourself from negative information and just to give yourself time to calm yourself down. Remember that we've been through worse times and Look ahead in the future. Look forward to all the things that you will go through in the future. For me personally, it's being reunited with my friends, with my boyfriend, celebrating my birthday and graduation. My graduation is coming in the future. So I'm really looking forward for that. And yeah, I guess just keep your spirits up, stay safe. And that's it. That's it for my interview. Thank you for listening to me. And once again, stay safe, everyone.
Hello, my name is Melissa Perez. Today, Sunday, 19th of April, I'm reporting from Atenas, Alajuela, small town in Costa Rica. And this town is a semi-rural community that has only about 5,000 people. And it hasn't been affected as much as other areas in the country. We only have two cases um, confirmed of COVID-19, and it has been about the same for the past two weeks. What I am seeing and experiencing in my community is that a lot of people hasn't been able to practice that social distancing and staying at home, mainly because they subsist on informal activities. And in order to have the income, which is already been affected by the crisis, they need to go out and sell whatever it is that they sell or offer whatever services that they offer. So staying at home, it hasn't been a possibility for everyone. And I'm afraid that maybe in the next few weeks or days, cases are going to go up in the community due to that fact. And in my personal experience, it has been um, a drastic change as well. But I have had the privilege to stay at home. I had to migrate back to Costa Rica before I lived in the U.S. in a college campus in St. Lawrence University. And it has been a lot of change living on campus and then going back home. However, I am glad that I had that opportunity to just be safe at home in that sense. In all this hardship and, and difficult situation, what's given me hope is that in Costa Rica, things are really going well, as well as it can be during this crisis. Today, for example, I received the news that over 100 people have been recovered from COVID-19. And I have to say that this is thanks to the good effort that the government has been doing in enforcing regulations to vehicles, transit, businesses closing, which I know affects the economy. But uh, right now, the number one priority is to protect the health of citizens. And it has definitely given me a lot of hope to see that people is actually recovering and that the cases haven't been increasing as much as in other places in the world. However, I, what I wish in general around the globe is to see more emphasis on how the crisis is affecting disproportionately some populations, let's say underprivileged populations that having had that protection from the state, from different institutions, due to the fact that their healthcare is privatized or their government and institution don't have the resources to implement more protection, let's say in health, or, or just reinforce norms to prevent the illness from spreading. And I wish that the media had more of an intersectional analysis of how this crisis isn't affecting everyone at the same level. And that, unfortunately, those at the lower social classes or those in, in situations of violence at home or of oppression inside of home due to the sexual orientation, etc., have been affected disproportionately by staying at home with their aggressors, by having to go outside and earn their income because they cannot work from home or because they don't have an insurance or universal health care at their countries. So definitely, these have given me the opportunity to see the world more 
critically because what these crises have done, more than anything, in my perspective, has been, has been to make those inequalities more visible. And I wish that when this is over, everyone has the opportunity to reflect on that and to understand that things as healthcare shouldn't be regulated by a market and that going back to normal after this shouldn't be the first option, that in fact that we should take the opportunity to improve in those areas, to demand better policies that give welfare to everyone, and that we have the opportunity to see those inequalities that are in front of our eyes thanks to the crisis at the moment. I just wish for everyone to stay safe. If you have the opportunity to stay at home, please do so. If you have the opportunity to donate, please do so and stay safe. You're listening to Interweaving, a podcast of conversation and context from Weave News. Since 2007, Weave News has been investigating underreported stories, highlighting alternative perspectives, and promoting grassroots media making and critical media literacy. If you're interested in joining us as a content contributor, just visit weavenews.org submissions. Now, back to more interweaving. My name is Stephen Nimeon. I'm from Southern Shan State, Myanmar. Today is Tuesday, April 21, 2020. Over the last month, over 100 cases of COVID-19 have been found in Myanmar. And in Shan State, the virus is beginning to spread more and more, including in my village. In Myanmar, it is now very difficult to travel. Local and international airports have been shut down for a few weeks, and traveling by land is becoming more and more difficult depending on the area. Many villages are putting their villages on lockdown. In southern Shan State, all the roads between rural villages have closed down. They don't permit anyone to travel between villages due to the spread of fake news and a lack of internet connection. There is belief in my village that if someone is infected, we must kill this person. Therefore, our region is creating and enforcing strong rules such as if you leave the village you cannot come back for 28 days. The villagers get their food from their home farms because they cannot go to the market. However, it is okay because we can ask our neighbors to share with us. If this continues for months, the villagers will not have enough cooking supplies like wine. Most villagers cannot work because they usually work in the city. The villagers hope the government will stop the spread of the virus. But if this continues, the villagers will help each other as much as they can. Our village is also practicing its own methods to fight the spread of COVID-19 as there is limited support. Myanmar is a country with over 135 ethnic groups and many different traditional beliefs that differ by region. When I was a child, I still remember when our community faced a big problem or disease. We used traditional methods to scare the disease, a week called 
brand in Kian language. Our village performed these methods recently since we have no other method to protect. They have blocked the entrance to the village with ugly statues of animals and people and woven bamboo shields to chase the disease from the village. We had a ceremony where the villagers shot guns and tried to threaten it away. And they killed a white cook and took two bones from the lake to predict the situation of disease for the villagers and the prayer as a warning to COVID. There are many rural villages across Myanmar like ours who do not have enough cleanliness, awareness, nurses and medical supplies. We are hoping the government will support us in the future for our livelihoods or at least share liver COVID-19 awareness. But the villages do not wait for the government. They do what they can to reduce the worries of their people. Hello everybody, my name is Blake Lavia. And my name is Tsinsun Aguilar Itzo. It is April 22nd, 2020, and we are currently in Madrid, New York, Haudenosaunee Territory, in the St. Lawrence River watershed on the border with Canada. However, our story does not start here. It starts in Cuauhtepec, Veracruz, Mexico, where... Sinsun and I were working on the production of the Burning or Breathing feature documentary, a documentary that talks about regenerative agricultural practices and um, raising Melipona stingless bees. So we were working with locals featuring their stories about uh, their struggles to create uh, a more sustainable agricultural world and at the same time uh, preserving and instructing other people about the importance of Melipona stingless bees, which are the heart of the tropics and the reason why the tropics still exist. From Cotepec, Veracruz, we read about all of the horrible events happening around the world, how COVID-19 started to spread, worried for our own families, worried for many people in many different places, and worried for a lot of the people that we knew in New York, where we lived. So things were still distant. Where we were in Veracruz, people at first didn't take the pandemic seriously. They don't have reason to trust authorities because the authorities have lied to them for so many different reasons throughout the years. So they almost treat it as a joke. However, as things started to change, that changed as well until everything hit us personally. On the last week of March, we were on our last stretch, on our last week before we were supposed to leave the country and go back to New York State. And we received an email saying that our flight from Mexico City to New York City had been cancelled. So that came as a shock 
as things were getting tenser and tenser everywhere, we started to realize that we did not want to get stuck in Mexico, particularly not in the area, since uh, there was a lot of tension due to the drug cartels' confrontations in the street, and at the same time, uh, the upcoming of dengue. So we realized that we really needed to leave, but uh, most probably we wouldn't have been able to. We tried to call the airline, but there was no way to get anybody on the line. We stayed there for hours. We realized that we didn't have much time left. If we needed to leave, it had to be done within the next three days or so. So we decided that the only way to get out was to give up the tickets we had and buy a completely new itinerary. So that's what we did. It was a three-day journey back. In many ways, it was an extremely easy three-day journey. The airports were empty. Um, we were some of the only many people flying. The airplanes were also empty. The gates were deserted. Feeling, of course, extremely bad for all the people that were working in the airports. Also bad because our carbon footprint was probably through the roof, seeing as we're some of the only people on the flights. Going through security, they almost didn't even look at our passports. We arrived back after the many, many days, bus rides, plane rides, six-hour car rides. We arrived back in way upstate New York. We were very much ready to go in quarantine and rest after a long journey and start working on editing all the footage we had acquired. It came as a shock that the house where we were supposed to move was not ready to host us and would not have been ready to host us for a long time. In any other circumstance, a friend could have helped us. But with the crisis, we found ourselves homeless. No one could extend a helping hand because we could have been contagious in any way proximity and so on are highly discouraged at the moment. Hotels luckily were open and we could find shelter for two nights there while we contacted everybody we knew that might have a second house. Many people offered and uh, we were really amazed by how people really tried to help us even in this hard time. And in the end, we decided to go with the only house that had running water. That house, unfortunately, was back in Boston. So after such a long journey and very little rest, we found ourselves having to travel back south. Luckily, we were able to stay in that house, even though it was not a stable position. The people were extremely nice and did say we could stay as long as necessary, but we wanted to find our own place, which we did. And we are now in Madrid. We are now more than ever engaged and ready to continue the work that we were doing. It is now very evident because of COVID-19 that topics such as regenerative agricultural practices and environmental protection are vital. We are about to face gigantic changes and shifts in our environment, in the ways our communities are structured and how people can uh, find shelter and be helped. 
COVID-19 found us utterly unprepared with health systems that were not ready to support the need. We are on the threshold of uh, a huge change and it is up to us to realize that this pandemic is really a small glimpse of what is about to hit us in the future. The time is now to really take charge and change things that need to be changed. So put in place more social helps that people can access to survive in hard time. And focusing on that change is possible. There are many people throughout the world that are doing beautiful things. In our film, um, we are calling them, well, they are Earth Guardians, Earth and Water Guardians, people that are striving in many different ways to protect the territory, protect the communities, protect the environments and the water that keeps us alive. If you'd like to learn more about the documentary film work that Blake and Sinsoon have been doing for the Talking Wings Collective, Make sure to look for the special Earth Day story we published earlier this week over at our website, weavenews.org. The story features two short videos that spotlight the use of regenerative agricultural practices at an agroecological farm in Veracruz, Mexico. Blake and Sinsoon will also be producing an upcoming episode of Interweaving, so please watch for that in the coming days. On behalf of the Weave News team, a big thank you to Nuskaim, Melissa, Stephen, Blake, and Sensoon for contributing their voices to today's episode. Finally, for more on how you can help us weave the world together during this global pandemic, check out our new dedicated project page at weavenews.org slash COVID-19diaries. Once again, that's weavenews.org slash COVID-19diaries. Until next time, thanks and take care. Interweaving is a production of Weave News, weaving the world together, one underreported story at a time. Our engineer is Terry Dubray, and our theme music is provided by Bee Children. For more exciting grassroots media content, find us online at weavenews.org or on social media at Weave News. There you can find out how you can support or join us in our work. Thanks for listening and join us next time for another episode of Interweaving.